0: It just so happened that during my time studying in Scotland, it was also when um, Michael Brown was killed by the police in Ferguson, Missouri. And so as I'm writing a dissertation about lament um, from a black woman theological perspective, I'm also watching police murder someone, and then brutalize a bunch of people who had the courage and audacity to stand up and say it was wrong. And so it most certainly has has shaped and continues to shape the work that I do. So after I returned back to the U.S., I uh, immediately went through the program to be officially licensed as a minister and uh, was licensed as a minister of social justice. And the majority of my work initially was in Working with families um, whose children were murdered by police. So in Cleveland, Ohio, where um, I was born and raised, there were more than enough cases to keep me busy, unfortunately. Um, That very first summer that I returned home, it was every weekend there was another family whose child was killed um, by the police and they were unarmed. And there was very rarely even an arrest of the officer. And even when there was an arrest, there was never a conviction. And so it became, you know, painfully clear that Black lives, Black bodies did not matter. um, And that that justice was was far, far from us. It's a brutal cycle to march and protest with families, pray with them and still to feel that there's no justice coming, and to to lose a lot of hope in that process. And I was really blessed to be able to find the organization I currently work with now, which we're we're called Isaiah. And we are a coalition of institutions of faith, um, predominantly Christian institutions, but also a, a large population of Muslim institutions and We work for racial justice and and economic justice for everyone in the state of Minnesota. And so being able to work with this organization not only uh, helped to utilize the tools that I had around, you know, how to be present with families and how to protest injustice, it also helped me to know the strategy and what to do behind the scenes in order to actually start to change policy. And as a communicator, I have been using my skill sets there to be able to figure out ways, um, research ways, study ways, and implement ways for us to talk to people across race and across income levels and across region in a way that actually makes more possible, that heightens people's sense of hope. Um, And that is what folks need in order to, to feel like they can be empowered enough to take the changes, to make the changes that need to be made.
1: Minneapolis was the focal point in terms of the murder of George Floyd, which, you know, has shocked the world. What was your reaction to that and what are things like there now?
0: It is a heinous thing for the, the folks in Minneapolis and the entire world to, to witness a murder. And it is also a reality for Black people that that is always a possibility to be harmed, to be hurt, to be under surveillance, to be brutalized, to be disrespected, to be harassed and humiliated by people who have sworn to protect and serve us. And so police have very rarely, if ever, been a point of safety or safe space for, for Black people and people of color in this country. And so I th- as a person who has, who has been through, again, many, many, many trials, have been with many families who have had their children, who have had their family members, their loved ones, killed by police while they were unarmed. And mind you, there's also been many white people who were armed and were able to be handcuffed and taken to jail. But to witness that over and over again, it is heartbreaking. It is infuriating. It is demoralizing. But I want to note that something feels different about this moment.
1: I wanted to ask you that: Do you sense yeah. that because there seems to be a momentum even across America that this is another line in the sand?
0: Yeah, I I do feel like things feel different. I am cautiously optimistic that we will make actual, real, systemic changes. Of course, you know the fact that everyone witnessed this murder is one thing, but quite frankly, we've witnessed a lot of murders. We we witnessed. Uh, Philando Castile, which was also here in, in Minnesota. We witnessed the murder of Derek Garner being choked to death. We've we've witnessed murders by police before. But Is I think the fact that,
1: that we, the video went viral and people saw eight minutes and of somebody pleading for their life. Like yeah. we're watching somebody being tortured to death,
0: literally. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it was the fact that we actually watched the torture. And many of our hearts broke as we, we listened to George Floyd plea for his life, call out to his mother, for many people around these four officers begging them to, to let him breathe. And I think we've all begun to reckon with the idea that, this, that events like this probably happen uh, way more often than we'd ever care to think about, and that it, this just so happened to be caught on camera. And so the fact that you know people, again, had the audacity, the, the courage, the strength to get out in the streets and protest and declare that this was not right, and that we collectively across race, across religion, across region, are saying that we're not going to allow this to continue and that we're actually ready for concrete changes is a really beautiful thing. And I think there's a lot of calls. Initially, there have been a lot of calls for reform. And it's also being revealed that uh, the Minneapolis Police Department has had 150 years of reforms. Um, that, that particular agency was born out of being a slave patrol. And then we've had many iterations of them, you know, going through trainings, going through accountability processes and transparency processes. and changing how they do paperwork, changing how they do certain policies. Um, there have been 150 years of documented reforms, and we know that those don't work. You know, asking for body cameras, we thought that would change things, but now it, it doesn't. <laughs> and so realizing that we're, it's actually time that we have real conversations across this country about what it would look like and what it can look like, for us to move our money a lot of money in, in Minneapolis alone, we put almost two hundred million dollars into the police force every year. What does it look like for us to move that money into proven ways to keep people safe like making sure people have livable wages, making sure people have health care, making sure that people have safe and affordable housing like those are things that that really do create safe communities. those are things that reduce harm and then creating Different agencies of intervention when harm is committed that is not what we currently know as the police force because they have broken their oath to us time and time again. They've proven that they cannot be trusted, Mm -hmm. Uh, they have completely lost the trust of the community. They've never really had the trust of the black community, but they have now lost the trust of everyone else, and so it is really exciting to me and it, it does give me an immense sense of hope to see that people seem to be uh, really ready to watch and 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 create some substantive changes happen.
1: Do you think that that needs to be translated into votes as George Floyd's brother called for that if President Trump is reelected, your heart would sink substantially?
0: I mean, you know, I'm um, I because I'm, I'm speaking for more of my official capacity of my organization where we we don't necessarily say who folks should vote for. But we do say explicitly that we should be putting in leadership that is completely aligned with our values and that we have seen this particular president incite violence um, time and time again, um, even on the, the people of Minneapolis threatening to shoot us because things are taken from a store. It is heinous that we would have any person in leadership who would put pieces of property, brick and mortar, over human lives. And again, this isn't even just about George Floyd and, and George Floyd's family, who absolutely deserves justice. It's about like, countless people. Over 1,000 people every year in this country are murdered by the police. And so to... Um, to to sweep that under a rug and act like it's not happening, to not to to pretend that it's not predominantly Black people in which this happens to, that is the real and true crime of this country. And most certainly, we deserve leadership who is who is about healing and who is about creating the space for us to have real honest conversations about our racialized violence here and to start to get us to a place where we we create something new and different, where every single person can thrive regardless of what they look like.
1: Do you think that leadership is coming from the Christian churches? Because there is a huge division as well in different for faith, but in particular, you're a Christian, you're, you're a minister in the United Methodist Church. Is mm-hmm. that leadership coming there? Many Catholics feel it isn't in their church leadership.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it's, uh, it is most certainly a frustrating thing that we have so many people who, who recognize a, a holy creator who made each and every one of us, who declares that there are no hierarchies of human beings. And yet they don't see the hypocrisy of us creating hierarchies of people based on what we look like. And then, likewise, knowing as as people of faith, we actually have a call to to do justice in the world and um, and not just be just but to do justice. And so there are many folks of faith, many Christians, many Muslims, many Jewish people who have come together, many people of many other faiths and none, who have come together to To push for change, to create new policies, to make something new, um, and there are still quite a few people who are silent. Um, and
1: tell me and, about that distinction between not just to be just, but to do justice.
0: Yes, it, that's an, it's incredibly important because a lot of people think they can be just from their couch. Um, they think that you know, if they treat people nice in, in individual interactions, that that is them doing the work of being just. And the reality is it is not. Um, we, you know, biblically, we, we commit both individual and communal sins. And we have a responsibility and an obligation to be accountable to one another regarding that. And so it is going to take all of us to commit to, to doing all that we can to defend Black lives to do all that we can to ensure that that not one more body is maimed, murdered, um, humiliated on our watch. And, uh, per, and especially by those who have promised to, who have taken an oath to protect and serve us, we have an obligation and a joy to, to be able to create something new um, that doesn't do that, that allows people to thrive. And so um, I, I think, uh, people of faith are, especially those who have been quiet for a long time, who have been silent, who've been on the sidelines for quite a while, are having a bit of cognitive dissonance around this. They're recognizing that things aren't the way that they, they thought they were, that their experience with police or that one cop who's really friendly to them is not a common experience for many, many people who don't look like them. So I think it is a, it's a good agitation and I, uh, my prayer is that people continue to awaken to that, continue to be agitated, continue to be burdened, um, you know, to, to with that until we get to a point where we're really ready to, to make change. I, it, is, it is my conviction that we should not have peace at this time. The true shalom, that the real wholeness of peace needs to come when we are all afforded that. And so um, we we need to figure out how to to make things right before we can get comfortable again.
1: You speak there about the true shalom. Would you see as part of that, the the founding history of America, where land was taken from the Native peoples, Mm -hmm. and that has never been addressed. And in fact, their whole culture was deconstructed so that there's a bigger conversation really to be had like there's the lives taken from black people brought from africa land taken and culture taken from the native american people
0: oh absolutely i mean this this country was founded on genocide and enslavement um and and that is you're right that's a a reality that we have have collectively decided to ignore to try to push past um and and you know the fact is is that many people still benefit absolutely benefit uh from from the sins of our past but it, it is it's really not our past. We continue to perpetuate it and reiterate it every single day of our lives um, to the harm and hurt of many uh, for the benefit of a very few and and so it is a it is a, a something that we absolutely have to reconcile with as a country, and that reconciliation is not going to just be, oh, we're sorry. There are actual, real, tangible things that we need to do, and a lot of work that has to be done um, by every person. Um,
1: like Restorative justice, truth ab- commissions?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is absolutely time that we start to pull out every tool in the toolbox instead of using what we have just known to use forever. You know, there are lots of conversations about this notion of abolishing the police, which for many people sounds terrifying because we've literally have never tried anything different. The reality is that it it doesn't work And, and it hasn't worked for a long time. I love the fact that, that many people of faith, many Christians are starting to step up because it is just a reminder in the, in the scriptures when it tells us that the people perish for a lack of vision. It is our duty to have vision in this time, that we cannot be too lazy to not create something new so that we don't continue, you know, so we, we can create a space where we don't have to witness murders every day, where murders don't have to happen if, by the hands of People who we've trusted. It is our obligation again to to create something different, to have the vision, to cast a vision, and it's going to take a lot of both political and prophetic imagination to do it. But I know that that we can.
1: You were uh, studied practical theology in in Scotland, in Aberdeen University, and then you went on a placement and you worked in Larch. What, how did that influence you, that experience of working? Because I know, know that people who have gone there have often been transformed by the experience.
0: It was an incredibly transformative experience, especially after spending a year of, of deep intellectual exegesis and, and you know, study of theology. To, to just be in a space to learn how to be present, to um, really let go of a lot of the, the intellectualizing of God and to just experience God um, with people. And, and, you know, I, one of the, one of the, my favorite things that ever happened in Marsh um, is I was, you know, I, I'm a black American woman, not a huge common thing to happen in Scotland, certainly not in, in the Highlands. Um, and I'm living in the house in Marsh uh, with mostly, you know, people who are Scottish. And, and it was for the first time that I had not felt like I'm just like the, the sore thumb that sticks out. I just felt like I could just be, I was just a human <laughs> with, with the folks in, who lived with me. And I had felt like that for weeks, you know, living there. And one day we're all sitting at the dinner table because it was, uh, you know, part of our practice that we'd all have dinner together. And we're all sitting at the dinner table and one of the gentlemen who is a core member who lives in Marsh and's lived there for a long time, he looks at me and he says, I was actually talking about one of my favorite baby dolls growing up with some of the, the house, the, um, my housemates. And he says, was your baby black? And I was like, yes, yes, it were. But it was just such a, it, it reminded me that, you know, this like notion of where we want to be a melting pot and not see race. <laughs> the reality is, is that like race is a beautiful thing. Like the, our, our different colors are a beautiful thing. Us being made in God's image, I wholeheartedly believe is that, you know, the fact that we are different colors and, and shapes and we look different is because God is just so massive beyond what we could fathom we all get a bit of peace of god and so for me to to be fully recognized for just yes i my my baby doll was black and you know that i'm black and that is and i still feel whole yes. and loved and and welcomed that is the kind of space that we have to create everywhere
1: and you went back then to america that experience has it influenced the work you're doing now?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It it is if anything it's just reminded me how much how critical human life is and that there's an inclination by some to again want to create a hierarchy of people to say that some people are worthy and some people aren't that your worth is found in what you do or produce that we've allowed a, a capitalist society to declare who is more valuable. Uh, and and who's deserving of things? And the biggest thing that Larch taught me was that this love that God has for each and every one of us it is greater than what we could ever fathom. We're called to love people that way, and if we are really truly doing that, we that we have to put ourselves on the line when we see others being hurt, when we see others being harmed, when we see and hear people try to validate someone being murdered because. They had a counterfeit $20 bill. It should completely rock all of us to the point where we don't feel settled, where we feel completely compelled to to do something.
1: You seem to have had that experience. You mentioned earlier that you were hopeful that something is different this time. Are, are you hopeful? And what would you say to people listening to this interview, say here in Ireland even, what do we need to be doing to be part of it. We all are addressed by these issues, aren't we? As Christians.
0: Absolutely. And I am most certainly loving the ways in which people are continuing to, to keep this in the forefront, continuing to protest, continuing to lift up their voices. What I don't want to happen is that we we think we just, we're done. We go, we march, we go home, and we've done the work because that, that is just the, the bare bones. And if we think like that, then it's really just performative. It's actually not making the changes we need. Um, You know, we saw and we have seen many police officers here in the U.S. take a knee in some kind of show of solidarity. But the reality is, is if once they take those few moments of taking a knee and, and having the pictures taken and the cameramen leave, when they go back to their precincts, are they then going through each and every policy, every procedure? every training to dismantle the white supremacy that is ingrained in that. If they're not doing that work, then them taking a knee means nothing. And that same thing applies to each and every person who's going out and protesting. When you go back home, look at your, your work policies. What is this policies in the schools that you go to? How In what ways have they continued to benefit from, from a white supremacist society that has continued to hurt and harm um, folks of color are they paying you know black and brown people fair wages, livable wages? are they offering things like health care? are they making education free um, and public and quality like these are the things that we actually need to do um, to create real change, and we can't just absolutely again i I most certainly don't want to undermine the importance of protest it's It's a huge reason why we got to where we are now. And that has to happen hand in hand with real systemic changes to policies, to procedures, to legislation, to how we do everything. So that's kind of where that that cautious optimism comes from. Uh, I I do think that some folks are starting to realize that that's that's the next step uh, and are wrestling with how to to start.
1: Do you radiate that hope? Does that come from
0: your faith? It absolutely does. And it, it comes from, quite frankly, Working with and being with a bunch of people of faith who feel the way I do. I think if I were out trying to lone wolf this, if I was trying to do this on my own, I would be in a lot of despair. But because I have other people of faith who also feel inspired by the ministry of Jesus Christ, by the creator who calls us to higher good um, and common good, I, I am... I am really hopeful, and it does continue to to give me the resilience and the sustainability to keep going, even in the midst of all the, the things we see.